Hi, and welcome back to DaVita Leadership Insights, a weekly podcast for DaVita teammates who want to become a better leader, both personally and professionally. I'm Doug Miller, a master coach and DaVita University faculty member. And I'm Grace Berman, a senior director with DaVita University. Doug, we are in season eight of our podcast. It's crazy season eight. (laughs) How cool is that? It is super cool. And this season is different than um, any other season because for the first time we're recording outside of the studio and in our homes, Doug. Yeah, and it's quite cool. And I want to give a shout out to our audio team that is really doing an incredible job to support us. So thank you, audio team. And even with all that support, things are going to sound different because we're shipping microphones around and doing all kinds of craziness to try to get the best quality we can. Yeah. And I have also decided that I'm going to start recording in my daughter's studio so that, or my daughter's studio, my daughter's closet, so that I can get the best sound in here. So we're just having to experiment, right, Doug? Part of continuous improvement, one of our core values. Excellent. So don't get distracted by her costumes hanging on, you know, hanging in the back (laughs) of her closet. That's right. That's right. Well, today we get to chat with two really cool guests, Doug Akosawa Kankam, a senior director of business development in what we call our team Pegasus, and Asher Royal, a divisional vice president leading about 50 dialysis centers in Atlanta and northern Georgia. Welcome, Akosawa and Asher. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Excited to be here. Yeah, thanks for being here. We're so grateful to talk to both of you about this topic of leading conversations around race. And this is a topic that is uncomfortable for many people, and including including me and, and Doug. For those who are not aware, I am an Asian woman and Doug is a white man. And both of us have been nervous about discussing this topic on the podcast. And I think it's because... It's such an important topic, and we want to ensure that we share what we share is meaningful for our teammates. And as we all know, this national dialogue on racial injustice and prejudice has really brought to the forefront after the senseless killing of George Floyd and other unarmed black men and women, um, and of course, the public outrage that followed. It's really brought this topic to the forefront of discussion. So these are typically conversations we've avoided in society and especially at work, but not today. Um, As our CEO, Javier Rodriguez, has challenged us to do, we are going to get Get comfortable with discussing uncomfortable topics. So let's start with our first question. Why do you think it has been uncomfortable to have conversations around race? So let's start with Akosawa. Thanks, Grace. Um, So I think it's been uncomfortable to have conversations around race for a myriad of reasons. In my personal opinion, it's been uncomfortable for people to have these discussions because Race is classified as a taboo topic, like politics or sexual orientation. And then on top of this, many of us were taught we shouldn't quote unquote see race, mm. when in reality, all of us see race and being taught we should not potentially brought shame and avoidance to the subject. And so if you couple that with this being a taboo topic, I think that this has led us in our society to potentially not talk about race and therefore inhibited our ability to build the muscle to have honest conversations around race. 
I think I'd add in the workplace, I think it's been particularly uncomfortable to have these conversations because one, a person's perspective will vary based upon their racial identity or experiences. And two, leadership is traditionally heterosexual, male, and white. And so there may be this perception that the majority is coming to the table focused on defending rather than listening. And then the minority may come to the table focused on blaming rather than listening. And so if we just shift our mindsets, right, which is easier said than done, to listening and learning, these types of conversations may become less uncomfortable the more that we have them. Mm. Love the way you said that, Akosua, that the majority may come to the table defending um, and the minority may come to the table blaming, which prevents both sides from truly listening. And and that's, uh, that's a really powerful way to think about it. So how about you, Asher? Why do you think it's so uncomfortable to have these conversations? Yeah, Grace, I, I live in a very similar place to where Akosua started, which is it's not something that we've actively talked about uh, and in something I think that we've just typically have shied away from. And uh, as you mentioned about Doug, similar, I am a white male. And while I didn't recognize it initially, uh, I think that there's a big perception that because of a white male, as Akosua outlined, we do come to the table with a sense of, of privilege. Um, and then the other part of it is a lack of comfort and sensitivity around it. And so um, some of the things that I've really thought about is, is that we fear the topic so we don't talk about it. Mm. And in reality, not talking about it makes it far worse than just having an open dialogue uh, and really being thoughtful about our approach and openness to a conversation. Yeah, I really, I really appreciate you saying that, Asher, in my own personal journey of facing into my white male privilege. Um, one of the things that's really uh, stood out to me in that journey is understanding that um, because I hold the privilege that I hold, um, it is easier um, for me not to talk about it. And my blind spots might uh, even actually be bigger. The more privilege we hold, the bigger um, our blind spots are. Um, so that's been a, a really important part of navigating through and getting, for me personally, to get more comfortable being uncomfortable. So why do you think it's, uh, it is important for us to have conversations around race, especially in the workplace? Uh, Asher, do you want to, do you want to jump in first here? Yeah, Doug, as I think about this, we spend far more of our waking hours at work than we do in any other environment. Um, and as I think about it in our DeVita environment, in a village setting, we are fortunate to have such a diverse workplace. And as I think about my own team, whether it's my core team of, of directors, my facility administrators, my nurses and PCTs, we are blessed with a culture uh, in a workforce that is incredibly diverse. Um, and so as I thought about it, especially in the times that we are facing now, it is truly our responsibility to tackle and openly approach this and not let it be an elephant in the room that, that we ignore. We've spent countless hours talking about diversity and belonging. And my perspective is, is that if we don't actually go and have a conversation and take action, 
then it's just talk uh, without any follow-up. And it doesn't create a place for our teams to truly feel welcome and feel, feel that they are, are included. Agreed. Asher, I love that you brought in the village approach to that. And I've said this on the podcast a few times here that one of the reasons I love DeVita and why I think this is a differentially special place for me is that for the first time, I felt I could bring my whole self to work. Right. And and that that means all my differences, too. So that includes my ethnicity, my identity, my experiences. And I, I need people to see me and not feel like I have to um, hide any of that. And so it's kind of like along with the same lines of of when somebody says I don't see color, I think the intent there is to say I um, I, I'm not going to judge you based on your differences in your color. And then oftentimes the way I receive it is you're not seeing me, you know, I am different. And that's what I appreciate about the village is that I can bring my differences and they can see it and they can actually appreciate it rather than trying to, um, to overlook it. So thank you for that. Uh, Akosawa, what is your perspective on why it's so important for us to have these conversations and especially in the workplace? Yeah. So one, thank you for sharing that. That resonated with me. The people can kind of see me, right? Acknowledge mm-hmm. that you can see race because uh, it makes me different and unique, right? So yeah. I think um, I think of two main reasons why I think it's important for us to have conversations around race in the workplace. And then if you don't mind, I'd like to share why I think it's very important now. So I'd say the first is because systemic racism is still very much present across the board including not just our justice and policing systems, but in education, in medicine, and healthcare, and in our workplaces. And I think in our workplaces, it can show up in hiring or compensation, and then honestly, in patient treatment plans and outcomes, and so much more. And so if we don't talk about race and address it, we can't move the needle for ourselves, our patients, or those who come after us. And so we have to have the conversations if we want to change things. And then I'd say, too, progress does not traditionally result from comfortable conversations. I think history has taught us that. Mm -hmm. And so we have to discuss race because addressing race is critical to addressing bias, which Doug brought up, right? And it's critical to addressing belonging. And so for me, it's irresponsible to shy away from these conversations to maintain our comfort around this status quo. Um, And then I think I'd like to share why I think it's critical for us to have these conversations around race in the workplace right now. Uh, And so from my perspective, we sit at this somber and sobering moment in our history as our nation is confronting kind of the horrors around police violence amidst the backdrop of systemic injustices with this pandemic. And so the world feels awake, and those who have historically not been burdened by racism and could choose to ignore or not see have their eyes open. And we have to all continue to have or join the discussion if we want to see change, and DeVita does not feel exempt from that. Uh, for the well-being of our entire village, and most importantly, I think, for our patients. I'm really appreciating all of the reasons why it's so important to have these conversations. Um, thank you. Thank you both so much. And um, 
it it's part of what we do in the podcast here that we invite our leaders to get vulnerable and share times where maybe they weren't behaving um, and doing what they would ideally like to have done. So I'm wondering if you both would be willing to share a time when you did hold back and you didn't have a conversation and then share a little bit about what you learned from that experience. Uh, Kosua, would you be willing to to get started here? Sure, absolutely. Um, an example I'd share is a few years ago at a leadership meeting, I listened to a white colleague use the N-word during a karaoke mm. outing while he performed a song, and I'm I'm fairly certain the word was removed from the karaoke screen, uh, but it came out of my colleague's mouth nonetheless. And I held back on raising the issue to that colleague. Even though it severely bothered me, I found it inappropriate, and it affected me to the point where I called my family and loved ones at the end of that evening to tell them how upset I was. And so I, I reflect back on why did I not say anything? And here are the two reasons I can think of. One, I was tired and it was not a battle I felt worth fighting that day. As a black woman in corporate America, if I had a conversation around race every time it presented, I feel like I would not be able to do my day job. And that's just my reality. Um, Mm -hmm. And then I'd say, two, this goes back to a learned perspective that at some age I was conditioned by my parents to not call attention to the color of my skin at work as it could detract from my actual talent or ideally strong work performance. And so I was not willing to take the risk of being categorized as solely a Koswa, the black woman. So I didn't say anything. Uh, I think you asked, what did I learn? So what I learned is I missed an opportunity for dialogue around race with that colleague and a potential opportunity to share a different perspective and help him understand why that could be offensive. Um, And I'd say that after that incident, I learned how to professionally establish my boundaries and still be authentic to who I am and not miss an opportunity like that again. Thank you so much, uh, Akosua, for being willing to share the situation, the impact that that had on you, and uh, and some of the learnings that you took away from that, I really, I really appreciate it, and it calls me forward to be a better ally um, myself. How about you, Asher? Um, would you be willing to share a situation where um, you held back and and didn't have the conversation, and what you learned from that? Yeah, so um, I am uh, I'm from a faith perspective Jewish. And uh, growing up, older relatives, typically my parents, aunts and uncles, so my great great aunts and uncles or, or grandparents even, uh, grew up speaking Yiddish uh, in their home. And while it was not a, uh, a, a language that was used on a daily basis, there were certainly terms that have been moved from generation to generation uh, in phrases. And there is a, a word that is used uh, to describe blacks in very similar to Kosovo stories in a in a negative way. And I didn't know what the word meant. I would hear it periodically growing up. And as the older I got, the more I understood it and, and heard it. And not from my parents or their peer groups, but certainly from the older generation. And I struggled with 
was I supposed to say, hey, that's not appropriate. Let's not use that word. Or when you're talking and looking and interacting with someone in their 80s and their 90s, and maybe they've grown up with the word and don't understand it, is it appropriate to, to have that conversation? And as I hear it in other generations now, I still struggle with where is it appropriate as a person to, to say to their elders, hey, let's, let's be really thoughtful and let's not use that. Um, and it's a continuous miss at times when I hear this phrasing to decide which, which side of the sword do you fall on? Do I stop them and correct them? Or do I just kind of shake my head and look at, at my own family members or, or make sure that my kids understand that it's not appropriate? Um, but that's a, that's a struggle that, that I have faced over the years. Um, and I think I've gotten a little bit bolder and braver with those that I'm comfortable with to just say, hey, that's not an acceptable phrase. And we've got to move past it. We're not helping, we're not helping each other. We're certainly not helping uh, the next generation if we don't stop it now. Yeah, I love the way you phrase that, Asher. And I don't, I, I think you're not alone on this, where we have loved ones, family members, et cetera. I know I do, uh, who have said very prejudicial remarks, um, even, you know, even racist remarks. And it's really hard because we love these people and they're not bad people. We love them. They're good people. And yet at the same time, how do we stand up for uh, what's right and saying, saying, you know, what, what, uh, and being able to stand up for those marginalized groups who are not present in that conversation. So I applaud your efforts to do that. And I agree, it is not hard. And I have shied away from that myself. And I think we all have a little bit of work to do on that. And um, and in the end, you know, the people you love are still going to love you. And you're still going to love them. And we can all just be in a safe place to learn. So thanks. I am going to switch us a little bit, Asher. So let's move to the flip side of this conversation. Could you please share how you have leaned in and recently led conversations around racism and specifically uh, the recent events with the protests for racial justice? How have you approached this? Walk us through one of those moments. Yeah, Grace. Uh, so uh, I recall this vividly. Uh, my wife and I were sitting watching the news uh, the Friday after George, George Floyd was killed in Minneapolis, and we were watching protests take place in Atlanta, and we were watching interviews and news stories, uh, and we're really wrapped up in, in what was going on. And over the weekend, I had a conversation with my parents, and my dad uh, tells me this story of growing up in the 1960s and recalling riots and protests that were taking place uh, dur during that time period. And as I kind of went into the work week, and it was certainly on my mind, uh, leading a, as I mentioned earlier, diverse team in Atlanta, I just felt compelled to say something. And so during an afternoon call with my core team, uh, I just started kind of going off the cuff and sharing my, my beliefs around how disheartening this is to, to see this taking place here in 2020, uh, that here's what we're facing. And as I thought about this a little bit longer, I called some teammates that I have that I'm very close with and just said, look, I want to, I think we need to have a call with our entire team. This is with all of our FAs and invite all of our floor team members to come on this call. And I just want them to know from my perspective that I want to stand hand in hand and shoulder to shoulder, and this is not okay. And as a group and as a team and as a village, we have to, we have to be better than this. Um, and it was a, while it was a brief call, eight minutes or so, uh, the feedback I got 
from just approaching it and saying, as Javier talked about during, and Dr. G talked about during the pandemic, it's okay to not be okay. And with that said, mm -hmm. we all leaned in a little bit more. Uh, and I think it was really nice for our teams to know that that they had support uh, from one another. Mm, yeah, I, I think that's important too. what you were talking about, just saying something. I think you said earlier that silence is worse than than um, saying the wrong thing. And I think it, it def most definitely silence can be seen as consent, right? And so just saying something is, is definitely better to show your teammates where you stand on the topic and, and whether you're, you've got their back. And so I appreciate you you saying that. And I'd love to hear specifically what what words did you use to start that conversation in the call? Grace, I felt really vulnerable uh, going into it. And so I called a, a team member that I mentioned that I really trust and I have a good relationship with and just said, look, I need some feedback. Uh, I'm going to kind of go to a very vulnerable space here and I need you to help me. Um, what's the appropriate word choice to use? Am I a person of non-color? Am I referring to uh, to, to in groups of people? Can I say that I'm a white male? Is it okay to say that uh, I recognize I come from a perspective and a position maybe that some may view as privileged? And what word choices is right and what word choices should I stay away from? And I felt so much better having that conversation where I, I wasn't embarrassed for my lack of knowledge uh, I really felt like I put my arms around it and embraced it. Um, and thankfully, she really helped me get to to a spot of comfort. Uh, and, and I use that also as some talking points to say, look, teams, I know that this can be uncomfortable. And I encourage you to to find a person, find a teammate, find a friend, find a peer, find someone that you can go to and ask those questions. Ask what you can do to help and if you feel embarrassed or you feel vulnerable, it's okay to feel those ways. Mm, thank you. That sounds great. Uh, great approach there. And Okosawa, how about your experience? In what ways were, your, uh, were you able to start these conversations and lean in? Yeah, so I'd say from my perspective in response to the recent murders of specifically Breonna Taylor, Ahmaud Arbery, and George Floyd— and then other significant racially charged incidents. And right after that initial May village statement of community from our leaders, I had numerous media offline discussions with DeVita leaders of color who were deeply impacted by what's occurring in our communities and the village's initial response. And so that weekend, because I was receiving so many separate texts, I actually just sent a group text um, to a group of people to say, hey, we should just get on a call together. And so we did that weekend. I hosted a call to bring together a few leaders of color, majority women, to talk through really how each of us were personally feeling and how we felt most appropriate to address that work and if it was even appropriate to address that work. Uh, and so we that call was a safe space, right, where we didn't worry about what we said. I didn't think about the the approach before I sent out that text message. I just said, let's all get together. And, and so we talked about our concerns, our fears personally for our loved ones, for ourselves, being women and men of color. Um, and then we also talked about how 
our non-Black colleagues had been reaching out to us in the past week or so and kind of our feelings and discomfort in some of those discussions and how we had each personally reacted or not reacted and Mm -hmm. then what we felt like moving forward should look like. And so we drafted a letter together uh, and that Monday each of us sent it to either our teams if people were in the field or if we were in Atlas, most of us sent a customized version to our leaders. And what we said and what I said specifically to my leaders is, hey, this is a note that I drafted with a group of leaders of color over the weekend. And I feel like you sending something out to our team from your perspective would be valuable. And I think to your point and to Asher and Doug's, my point was to them, it doesn't have to be perfect, but you should say something. And so that letter went out later on in the week to our team, Team Pegasus, and my name was mentioned in it just because I'm on the Diversity and Belonging Steering Committee. And I'd say from there, I had numerous discussions and reach outs from leaders who are of color and those who are not. Um, And we went from there. Akosawa, you mentioned that your uh, sort of your conversations with other leaders of color seemed a bit more comfortable. You knew kind of what each other was going through. You were able to bounce ideas. And yet there were some conversations with non-Black leaders who that were a bit more uncomfortable. I'd love to hear a little bit more about how you, you manage through those different levels of comfort. So going back to your earlier comment, Okosawa, about the majority coming to the table uh, with uh, being defensive and not listening, and then the minority coming to the table being uh, blaming and not listening. How did you navigate through that? So you took the defensiveness and the blaming off the table. Yeah. So I think that one was important. And that was that was candidly difficult for me. So obviously, I don't know if that's obvious, but I think I mentioned on a personal level, my perspective is that of a black woman. Right. And for me, I've had these conversations around race for as long as I can remember because I live in a society where the color of my skin can incite an adverse reaction, and I don't have the privilege to not have the discussion around race. And so that conversation has been happening for as long as I can remember since I was a little girl. And I'd say that that is fair to assume for the majority of your Black colleagues. So entering that space and having a discussion with leaders of color felt very natural. It felt very organic. I was not worried about anything On the other hand, for my white colleagues and my non-Black colleagues, I felt a lot of anxiety uh, and I felt an obligation to have the discussion. And so what I tried to focus on in my approach was I'm going to come into this discussion just listening, right? Mm -hmm. And I am not going to focus on every word if it's not right and kind of nitpick because for the most part, I know these people, I know they're coming from a good space, right? And like their intent of this reach out is genuine. And so I was just more cognizant of my words, of making sure I listened. And I tell you, most of the conversation started with my non-Black colleagues saying, I don't want to say the wrong thing. Mm. And so how Mm. I would counter that is just say, it's okay If you say something, quote unquote, wrong or offensive, I will tell you my feelings about it. Like this is a safe space. 
even mm-hmm. if we don't agree. And so I, I did have some uncomfortable and even tense discussions with people who I enjoy and very much respect. And I think that it was valuable for me and for them to have those discussions. And I'm glad that they're happening in our team and around the village. Yeah, Kosua, what you're saying really brings to mind for me my own personal journey and how, um, you know, as a, a white man of privilege, there were many times where I would stay silent out of fear of saying the wrong thing. And what I've come to come to accept is that staying silent is no longer acceptable. And, um, and mm-hmm. um, I've become way more willing to to say the wrong thing um, and uh, rather than staying silent because silence can be a sign of complicity and I'm uh, being complicit and I'm just not willing to do that myself. So, you know, being willing to be wrong is what I've embraced with the intent to learn when I am wrong. So, um, so really relying on uh, people letting me know if I do say the wrong things. And the other thing that, that, that this brings up in, you know, we talk about intent versus impact in a lot of our Davida University programs. Um, and so the other thing that's happened for me in my personal journey is to take more responsibility for the impact I am having um, even though, you know, it, it, I'm super clear on my intent is not to have a negative impact. I do need to be responsible when I do have a, a negative impact and do everything I can to step up and learn and, um, and, and adjust my behavior so that I'm not having that negative impact in the future. So, um, really grateful for the, for both of you being willing to share the stories that you have and, And I think we're at that time in the episode where we ask our guests to share a very practical tip with our listeners that they can go out into their lives and try right away to lead conversations around race. So Asher, would you be willing to share a tip with our listeners first? I think it's simple, Doug. I would say it's phone a friend. Uh, Talk to a peer, talk to a colleague, talk to a trusted friend. And just say, I need to be vulnerable and I, I want to be vulnerable with you. Uh, help me understand what I don't know and uh, and help get this to, to a place where you feel open and comfortable talking about it and truly going out and creating that sense of belonging and inclusion uh, for our teams. Thank you, Asher. I, I like the phone a friend tip. How about you, Akosua? What would be your tip that you would offer to our listeners? My tip would be either in a one-on-one or maybe a team homeroom, ask what you feel like is an uncomfortable, open-ended question around race in the workplace and lead by example by honestly answering first. And an example of a question could be, what are your thoughts as to how the village is responding to the current racial injustices Mm -hmm. in our society? And then really listen to other people's answers and ask your team to sit in those feelings of discomfort and try not to become defensive or explain why they disagree with another teammate's perspective. And then just listen and remember 
you don't always have to agree with everyone's perspective to validate each individual's feelings. Thank you, Okosua. And and thank the both of you for your willingness to come on this episode and openly share your stories and your thoughts on this topic. Really, really appreciated and grateful that you are leaders in our village. Well, that was an enlightening conversation with Okosua and Asher. I loved their tips at the end to lead conversations around race. And really what it comes down to is just leaning in and doing it. So not being silent and actually saying something and getting the conversation started. So Asher's specific tip was to phone a friend and talk through what you're scared about, get, get some feedback and someone to process with. And Okosawa's tip was to ask an uncomfortable question around race at work and and then lead by example by honestly answering first. Completely agree, Grace. Love the tips and what a great episode. And speaking of tips, it I think it's my turn. I mean, it's it's been such a long time, but uh, we had a tip at the end of last season from Tad Stahl around motivating yourself and your team with a growth mindset. And his tip was to use a visual reminder to help you remember to lead with a growth mindset. So what I did is I put a little post-it note on the corner of my computer monitor with the word growth on it. And then when I found myself drifting into a fixed mindset and having some internal dialogue and judgment and criticism, I would notice that post-it note and be able to move myself into a curious place and a more of a growth mindset around uh, the topic that was on my mind. And I can't say it worked perfectly, Grace, but it was helpful to have that post-it note there as a reminder. That's so cool, Doug. And it's such a simple tip, right? Just put it on a post-it note. That makes total sense. Thanks for sharing, Doug. And for our listeners, we would love to hear your stories and tips as well. Please check out your our show notes and click on the listener mail link to find out more about submitting your stories and tips in writing or through a voice message. And if you haven't yet subscribed to this podcast, please do click that subscribe button so you don't miss out on any episodes. And one last thing, Grace, is that if you enjoy these podcasts out there, listeners, please do rate us on iTunes or click over... Uh, on that survey link in our show notes so that we can learn how we're doing. So look forward to seeing you next week. One for all. All for one.